can come. This is Ernie Wagner III. He made sure it was very clear he was not the junior at the uh, first service. Made me look like an idiot. Thanks, Ernie. Hey, here's his lovely wife, Alex. Stand Woo! up if you don't mind. Just stand she hates up. standing there, up. She hates she standing up. Yeah, just stand up, just stand up the entire service. I'm just kidding. Sit down. All right, sit down. Hey, this is, this is Ernie and Alex, and they are in the process of planting Sojourn Church together. They have a, a community of people who are alongside of them and stuff, but ultimately they have been called by God to East Cobb. Uh, they are church plant number five in our network. Uh, we were number three here at Vintage, and they're number five. Uh, Alex and Ernie have become great friends of ours. We actually went a couple of weeks ago for dinner in downtown Atlanta, had a great time together. And uh, so in that, they're not just pastors way down there somewhere doing something, that, but they are, they are family with us, okay? So when you see them, right, they're your family, okay? Everybody say family, Family. Yes, they're families. So when we send Cy and Lane off to the far reaches of India, right, they're? Yes, and so we see Ernie and Alex, and they are? Yes, they're bringing God's kingdom in their areas. So we're excited about that. And so I'm going to pray for Ernie real quick, and, and uh, he's going to launch, and we'll go. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Ernie, and we thank you for Alex. We thank you for their call. And, Father, we want to pray right now for them, specifically Jesus, just in this season of planting, in this season of upheaval, God, of, of church planting. Lord, we pray for your grace and your mercy and your peace to overwhelm them in every area of their life. God, I pray in their marriage that it would become a safe place, God, even more so than it already is, God, that their marriage would be a safe place, God, that it would be a place, God, that acts as a barrier against church planting, that it would be their marriage, it would be their relationship that supersedes everything else, God. As you in, in this communion with them, God, you linking arms with them, that you do life with them in their marriage. So bless them today, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that that their confidence and what they're doing for you would increase as you draw near to them, that they would stand confident in the call and confident direction that they're going, knowing, Lord, that you might not be able to see anything ahead of them, but they still have confidence because you're with them, which means, God, I pray that they would know your presence with them in a way they had never known it before. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and do this work? And we pray, Father God, that as they take steps with you, God, they would be taking steps into the knowledge of your presence and the love that you have for them. Bless them this morning, Jesus. I pray that you would speak through Ernie to us, God, and that you would give us ears to hear the message you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Gloria a Dios. It's good. I don't know why I just said that. Um, Spanish for glory to God. Okay, good. Um, so it's an honor to be here with you guys. Um, good friends with Steve and Randall, like Steve said. And uh, I love what you guys are doing here at Vintage. I love the community here. And uh, I love what the Lord is, has in store for you guys. It's a wonderful thing. And so I wanted to give kind of clarity on who I am. First and foremost, I'm, um, that is my wife. And she does hate standing. And so I do feel bad for her that she had to do that a couple minutes ago. And we have a little boy named Judson. He's two and a half. And he's super cute and style is, is dressed very well because his mother is super trendy. And so uh, he always looks really cute. Um, so that's my family. Uh, we started a, um, 
We started in, the, we're part of the Transformation Network. There's five churches underneath that network. Uh, Vintage is one. Sojourn, uh, our community, is another. And so we started that process. Our meeting as a core group in January of 2012. Who was a part of the core group uh, of Vintage when you guys initially started? Yeah, a couple of you guys in here. Yeah, so we, uh, we started in January of last year, started meeting as a core group for about six to eight months. And then in August of this last year, about a year ago, we, we planted in East Cobb at Dodgen Middle School, which is across from Walton High School uh, over in East Cobb. And, and just this week today, uh, we're transitioning from Dodgen Middle School to a, uh, a church, Lutheran Church of the Incarnation. We're going to be meeting there on Sunday evenings. And so we're really excited about what the Lord's doing with us and our community and those kind of things. And so for myself... Um, I grew up in the Bible Belt. Who grew up in the Bible Belt? Which means here, around here. Okay, who grew up in uh, in Dallas, Georgia, and lived all of their life? Anybody lived all of your life in Dallas, Georgia? Let's get a couple of you guys. Okay, wow. Uh, okay, good. Well, um, praise God for that. And so uh, I grew up in the Bible Belt, and uh, the the downside of that is I grew up thinking that salvation equaled I I owe God some favors. And so I have to live in this, this tightrope of life of doing certain things and not doing certain things. I had the list of to-dos. I got to do the do's and not do the don'ts. That's kind of what I had interpreted. That's not what I was told, but that was what I was interpreting in my life. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to go to church and do these kind of things. And so for me, I, I went to church every week. I, I gave my tithes and maybe a little extra every week. I was involved with lead, youth leadership and all those kind of things. And man, I was ensnared and suffocating in pornography. I was drowning in, in emptiness because the reality is Christianity has so little to do with doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. And if that's your primary objective, you will also drown in the emptiness that that offers. And it was in 2005 where I was um, at a university in Kentucky. Not University of Kentucky, but a university in Kentucky and at Asbury University. And so I was studying there and um, studying Bible theology externally. looked like I had it all together because I was doing the do's and not doing the don'ts in front of people. And privately, I was drowning, and privately, I was dying on the inside. And so I had a really bad relationship I was in. I was partying and doing different things like that, while simultaneously leading a mission trip to Ghana, West Africa. And so I went to Ghana with this team that I was leading. They looked like, look from their perspective that I had it all together. We, we go down to Ghana, and uh, Michael Mosley, who was the missionary down there, was, uh, is and was a good friend of mine. And so we went golfing. Uh, early one morning when we were in Ghana, just to spend some time together, you can imagine, okay, okay, golf course in Africa, that sounds ghetto. Yeah, it is, actually. It was really ghetto. And so we were at a tee box about to tee off, um, and, uh, and we're sitting there and uh, standing there. I don't, I don't actually know where if we were sitting or standing. It doesn't actually even matter. Um, that's not my notes. So i got to stay focused. And so we are at, the, uh, at a tee box, and he just begins to speak to me and just encouraging me, an older brother in the faith, and just, just ends by saying, what, what the heck are you doing with your life, man? Like, what are you doing? And it was in that moment that I, I woke up and I began to realize, spiritually speaking, I began to realize, what, what am I living my life for? Like, well, what am I doing? What am, what am I doing with my life? I'm, I'm drowning and suffocating 
trying to please God with my own efforts of salvation, not resting in the fact that he already came and loved me. He already pursued me in spite of me. And that reality began to liberate my soul. And it was, you know, so I stand here, you know, almost five and a half, six years freed from porn. But I, I want you to know that I am just like you. I'm broken. If you're imperfect, come to the right place because the church is filled with imperfect people. I'm a broken man. Just because I'm on this platform thing doesn't mean I have all of my ducks in a row. I don't. I'd be the first to admit it. And so as we come to the word this morning, I I want to remind you that I am I'm no better than any of you. I stand submitting to this word saying, man, I don't even have. I I shouldn't be standing up here this morning because I'm as broken as everybody else. And I don't feel like I I should be, but that's the nature of teaching and preaching and all that stuff because it's, I'm not, I don't have it all together, but I I know who the the one is that has it all together. And so I want to point to him this morning. I don't want you to be thinking, man, he's got it all together. I wish I was like, like, I want you to hear from me that I am, I'm broken, but I, I know of one who has it together. I know of one who in my disobedience came in my place, stood on my behalf, died the death I deserve and has given me life that I don't deserve. And so I want to spend some time talking about, about Jesus this morning. And, and so if you've been here these last couple of weeks, um, Steve started a series two weeks ago called God's at War. And uh, just focusing on this issue of idolatry that's, that's so prevalent in the scriptures. But when you attend church for 5, 10, 15 years, maybe it's never even communicated, but it's an essential ingredient in regards to the church today. Um, so if you don't hear me say anything this morning, if you happen to fall asleep, man, you try to stay out of your Clemson fan and you're heartbroken last night and you couldn't fall asleep, I'm sorry. Um, but if you don't hear me any, say anything this morning, hear me say the good pleasures in this life were never designed to give you the joy that only God and Jesus can give you. The good pleasures in this life were never designed to give you what only God can give you. I was in India in 2007. Um, was did some mission work there with with Kruba Homes and Tammy and the people. Uh, you know her. Many of you do. You guys support her. I know. Um, and I was. I remember one day. If you guys ever anybody been to India? Anybody? Cool. So uh, on a bus in India, Bangalore, packed. But I mean, it stinks. It just it just reeks of all kinds of things that can reek. And so I'm in this bus trying to like get my nose out of the window just to get some fresh air. But when you are in India, there's like really no fresh air, specific parts at least. And so as I'm trying to get my nose out the window to get some fresh air, I'm just watching these these few men and women who are over. There's this tree. This big, thick tree, maybe, you know, 75, 84 years old or so. I have no idea. But this big tree, and there's these wooden carved pieces of, I just said wooden, uh, carved, carved pieces of wood that are leaning against this tree. And these guys come up, and they begin to do these acts of worship. And it was so intriguing. Like, man, they are openly just worshiping idols. And kind of for a second, like, and we're not, not dumb like that. I mean, they just made that thing three hours ago, and now they're, now they're worshiping it. But then it just hit me, like, we, we are idolaters. We also, you, me, your person next to you, we are ones who are worshipers, and we just sugarcoat it. We just cover it up with, with other language, but we are, we are all idolaters. And so how, what, is an, what is idolatry? 
Simply put, is making good things ultimate things. Idolatry is making good things ultimate things. It's dethroning God for his gifts. It's taking God's good, wonderful, amazing gifts that he's given us, and it's replacing the one. So God is the supreme creator. He created everything and he has a specific place because he's transcendent big word which means he's unlike anything else he's holy he deserves what no created thing deserves he is creator and he created things good and he is designed to be in a place that created things ought not to be and so let me let me say it like this and so there was a time when idolatry wasn't. There was a time where sin didn't exist, where God created everything good, everything to be enjoyed. He created a world perfect. He created people perfect and perfect union with himself. He, he created a place where there was no anxiety, created a place where there was no depression, created a place where there was no temptation, he created a place where there was, there was no um, other things like that. And then there was, there was so, so wine was good. He created a good. Sex was good. He created that good. Work was good. He created work good. He created relaxation good. Everything that God created was good. Sports were good. Hobbies were good. I don't know if I said it. Sex was good. He created everything good and God's design for humanity to find joy and fulfillment in himself was flipped on its head so he was creating everything to be he was ultimate everything that he created was just to be good and enjoyed and what happened in the fall and we feel the ramifications of that today is that he he was flipped and all of a sudden, all good things were put on, an, on the ultimate pedestal that only God was designed to be on. And so Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. In Romans 1, 21, it says this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So the good stuff isn't the problem. Good things, money, and all the things that we enjoy in this life, there's nothing wrong with those things. John Calvin said it best. He said that the problem is our hearts. Our hearts, he says, are idol factories. We make anything and everything that is good. Our hearts make good things, ultimate things, all the time. And so the issue isn't the good things of this life. The issue is our heart that corrupts those good things and makes them ultimate. 
And therefore, idolatry, because it's robbing God of his glory and robbing you of your joy, is a destructive pattern that we all find ourselves in. See, idolatry is, is, is destructive because, again, it flips the design that we are created for on its head. And we end up trying to pursue things that were just designed to be good. And we try to find ultimate satisfaction in those things. And they're unable to give us what we desire and what we long for. And we find ourselves restless and frustrated, trying to numb the pain of trying to find something to suffice the longing in our hearts. Because those things were never designed to give us those uh, pleasures. They were always designed to point to the Creator who created those good things. They're destructive. See, most people, including you and myself, we try to make, I'll say it like this, most people spend their lives trying to make their heart's fondest dreams come true. We so frequently are trying to make our heart's longings and desires and dreams come true and we're willing to sacrifice anything and everything to make that happen. Again, good pleasures were never designed to give you the joy that only God can give you. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we see a a story of Abraham and how this played out in his own life. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In Genesis 12. Genesis 12 says this. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, go, which was short for Abraham. He changed his name a little, little bit later on, but we won't go into that. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you of a, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse four. So Abram went, and the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when this all took place. And so we see this guy, Abram, he's just doing his life, doing his thing. And all of a sudden, the Lord shows up to him and says, Hey man, I I want to bless you. I want to bring forth a son from you, from your seed. I want to bring forth one who will be a blessing to all nations. The one by whom will will bring forth a lineage that will ultimately bring forth the Savior of the world, Jesus. And so he says, Through you I want to do it. It's like, whoa. Whoa. One, that's just cool, regardless of who you are and how old you are. But that's, that's kind of crazy for him, because if you, read, if you listen to what I just read, he said he's 75 years old. He is, let's just say he's past his prime. Let's just say he's, he's him and his wife is 10 years younger than her, him, which makes her 65, that they're past their procreating days. They're not able to, to produce children. They don't have the certain uh, ED Cialis commercials like we have today. They are, he is, like I said, past his prime, and she's been well past those hot flash days, right? And so they're, they're past that. And God comes to him and says, through you, I want to bless. I want to bring forth a son. And so you got to believe. He's like, man, we've been trying all of our lives. They don't have any sons. They don't have any children up to this point. And so all of a sudden this triggers this like, oh my goodness, the Lord could... Bring forth this thing I've longed for for years. And maybe some of you guys have even felt 
the, the pain of infertility and how painful that can be. And they felt it. They felt it for 50 years of, of marriage, not experiencing that thing. God shows up and said, I'm going to give you a son. And now he feels that longing creep up again. Oh man, I long for that. And so he begins to cling and wait, and hope, and long, and cling, and hope, and wait that God would bring forth this promise of this son. So they, she's 90, he's now 125 years goes by, month after month, turns into year after year, turns into decade after decade, and they're still waiting, still longing, still hoping. We you know, we are hoping God will do something in two weeks. And if he doesn't, it's like, oh, the world's caving in. They're 25 years into this thing, waiting and hoping and longing for God to come through. These oldie goldies, age 190, they conceive. They have this son, Isaac. I mean, imagine the joy and excitement and the exhilaration that they felt. Man, the Lord is faithful. 25 years of waiting, of trusting that God would come through. And here's this little dude, Isaac, that he's able to hold. The question is this, though. Did did Abraham wait and sacrifice? Did he wait and did he sacrifice for God? Or did he wait and sacrifice for his son? In other words, was, was God a means to get his son or was God an end, was the end goal? Was, was, was God a genie that, that Abraham, Abraham was using to get a son or was, he, or was his son a means to ultimately have more of God? See, we can all so easily put good pleasures in the place of the ultimate place that only God deserves to have. So we see it like wine. Wine is a good thing. Oh, Gary Givens can make some mean wine, right? Wine is, and that's a positive thing. The wine is a, is a good thing, but our hearts, remember our idol factories. We can make wine. We can turn it into an ultimate thing. We can ultimately, we can, we can uh, not uh, stay in the boundaries of moderation. And you give it just a little bit of time and our hearts can take wine and make it an idol and turn it into uh, alcohol, alcoholism. You, you take food, this good thing. When Randall and Steve and Alex and I went to this restaurant in Atlanta, I mean, it was good. I had this medium rare steak. It was still moving a little bit. And it was just bloody and good. It's dripping down my beard. It's like, oh man, it's so good. Like this thing was delicious, right? Food was designed to be good. It was designed to, we have a palate that's supposed to experience pleasure and, and taste in our mouth. But man, we can take food, we can so easily turn it into an idol. So easily, food turns into gluttony overnight. And what's interesting about gluttony is it's, it is a sin, but we love to heighten those few sins, like, oh, those sins we never do, but man, we have so many blind spots, you and I do. Food can be turned into idol. idol. Hobbies can be turned into idols. Sports. Some of you had a hard time showing up this morning because Vanny beat up on them dogs. And it was like, man, my life is crumbling because we have three losses. And they talked about us being national champion contenders. 
And so, woe is me that I'm a dogs fan. Why didn't I just choose to be an Oregon Ducks fan? Why not? You know. And, and so you have this this feeling because we make good things the joy of sports and overnight we can turn them into ultimate things overnight we can our hearts can turn those things into idols so easily we do with we do that with work and begin to work you get a good job you begin to work and you begin to make money and all of a sudden our hearts begin to turn work into an idol and all of a sudden we begin to be driven by success we begin to get driven by just a little more money just a little more money and all of a sudden our family begins to crumble. All of a sudden, our kids begin to not have a father that they're able to see as a godly example in their life. And man, I'm just telling you, we can turn anything. Anything has been an idol. Anything can be an idol because it's the good things that aren't the problem. It's our hearts that are idol factories. We take what God has made as good, and because our hearts are idol factories, we corrupt those things and make them something they were never designed to be. What we end up doing is we end up putting hope and trust and good things that were never designed to be hoped in. The good gifts were always designed to point back to the good, wonderful giver of those things. But over time, you just give a little bit of time and all of a sudden we begin to put our hope and our trust in the gifts that God has given us and not in the giver of those good gifts. Good things so easily can become ultimate things in our lives. The moment that we put our identity in what was created by God is the moment that, ple- that the pleasure that we are seeking is quenched and robbed from. It's like this. If pleasure's Good pleasures and joys of this life were like a bucket. The moment you put those good things in the place that only God deserves to be put, in that moment, that bucket all of a sudden gets a bunch of holes in it. And when you try to pour pleasure and joy and satisfaction in those good things by putting it in an ultimate place, all of a sudden what you're longing to be satisfied in and where you're longing to have your joy fulfilled, it's like it just disappears. And so it plays out like this practically. You, you save up, man. You, you go Dave Ramsey, and you go envelopes, and you go, if we're going to buy a TV, girl, it's going to be cash. And we're going to we're gonna try to bargain, because that's what we do, because we're Dave Ramsey followers. And so you, you put the money in the envelope, right? And you give it six, eight months, and you got the cash, and you feel like you have all power in the world. And you go up to the dude, and you, I don't have credit card. I have cash. Can you lower the price? He says, no. He says, okay. So you pay in cash for exactly what the price was. And so you, you get the thing, right? And so the thing, Whatever it is, whether it goes on the wall, goes on the floor, goes in the car, goes on your body, you get this thing, and it's like, man, that thing's legit. You bring your boys over. I got my man cave now. You turn that thing on. You do whatever you do, right? But you give it a month, and the next best one came out. And what do we do? Oh, man, I need that. Oh, I need that. All of a sudden, what you thought would give you satisfaction becomes empty because something new comes along. Man, Apple figured this out, didn't they? You get the you get the 4S. All of a sudden, man, I got my 4S. It's for speed, right? It's fast. And all of a sudden, you got the thing, and you give it a little time. All of a sudden, whoa, you said the 5's coming out? Man, I need, honey, I need the 5. I don't want it. I need it, you know? And then all of a sudden, 5C comes out. And it's like, 
I need it. And they've figured out advertisement marketing has figured us out that we are idle factories. And we just don't see it that way. We don't recognize how foolish we are putting good things in an ultimate place and in a place that will never satisfy your soul. And we put kids and work and stuff and gadgets and whatever it is in that place, hoping that it will satisfy. And it never will and never can because Jesus is the only one who's able to satisfy your soul. He's able to give you what nothing that he created can give you. And then we just walk around like idiots. He calls us fools, Paul does. He ain't playing around. He's like, for what are you thinking? You've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for man, images of the created things. What are you doing? Man, I do it. You do it. We do it. And we find our souls just restless, discontent, coming to worship, frustrated. We, we find our marriages beginning to pull apart because we're trying to find something in a relationship or in something that we're buying or something that we long for that's just not going to suffice, even if you got it. It's the way it's worked out in our lives. And, you know, Paul says that one of the worst things that God can do is to give us over to the desires of our heart. One of the worst things that God can do is leave you and leave me to our own vices. And yet he's so kind. He's so kind. He's so merciful. Why? Because he doesn't leave us in our place. He doesn't leave us to our own desires. He didn't leave us to ourselves. Do you know that you are your own worst enemy? You are your own worst enemy to your own joy. And he came and he stepped in to rescue you, not from your spouse, not from that coworker that drives you nuts. He came to rescue you from you because you are the one that makes good things ultimate things. He does it to Abram here, Abraham here. You know, you read Genesis 12 through 21. It's like, dang, he has the perfect life. Gets the promise, waits a little bit of time, receives the promise, and now they live happily ever after. Well, it doesn't play out like that if you keep reading the story. It looks like he's going to die, this happy man with his son by his side. It's going to all be good. But then you read Genesis 22. And after years of hoping and years of waiting and years of longing and hoping and waiting and praying and longing, he gets this son, and no one's longed for a son more than Abraham did. And then we read Genesis 22. And it says this. Verse 1 says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. Verse 2. The Lord said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. See, Isaac was now everything to Abraham. God was no longer everything to Abraham. The gift, the good, wonderful, enjoyable gift God gave to Abraham was placed in an ultimate place 
that was not designed to be put there. And so now Abraham's hope and his joy and his satisfaction was now going to be placed in his son and not in God, which would ultimately be destructive for their relationship because if Isaac uh, was wayward or moved away or something happened, Abraham would crumble even in ang- either in anger or in, in, in obsession over his son. He was never designed to have his son be put in that ultimate place. And it's interesting because in, in this verse, he doesn't just say, hey, take, take Isaac. He says, take your son, your only son, the son that you love. He, he targets that issue of idolatry in his heart. Man, I gave you a gift and you've made it ultimate and I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to say, not my will, your will be done. I want you to say that you are the supreme affection of my life. You are the supreme joy, not the good gifts that you give me. So you go on to verse 5 and he says, hey, we're going to go up to the mountain and we're going we're to sacrifice and we are going to come back after we've worshipped together. And it's interesting because it seems like in this text that Abraham is beginning to recognize, oh man, he's got me. It's a blind spot. We got blind spots. You're driving down the road and all of a sudden you got this car right here that you can't see because the mirrors don't give you that angle. And so you're driving. All of a sudden you go to turn and you're just, oh, I didn't see that car there. I'm glad I didn't hit it. It was a blind spot. Thankfully they have a horn. And you swerve back because there was a blind spot. We have those all the time. And idols are, the by nature, they're, they're what blind spots are for us. We have these things in our lives that we don't think that are actually there. But if you ask somebody else if they're there, they'll tell you that they're there. You and I, we are created for pleasure. Man, we are created for pleasure. We are created to enjoy the gifts of God. If I can go PG-13 on you in here. That God created the female body, specifically with a, a part that's just for pleasure. He created you for pleasure. He created you to enjoy the good gifts that he's given you. But he's too kind to not put himself as the ultimate desire of your soul because that'll cause you to find your soul frustrated. He's too merciful. You know, the worst thing he could do is to give us over to pursuing temporary pleasure that won't suffice. You know, in 2008, we had that crash that went down. Or financially, many of you felt the ramifications of of what took place in 2008. I don't know how much money you lost and how all of those things played out in you individually. But I, I believe this. I believe that that situation was not the wrath of God. I believe it was the mercy of God to expose idols in our lives. Man, if you, if you do research, you hear the craziest stories about dudes and gals that had hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, CEOs of the big firm, the big thing. And man, that goes down. Their feet are standing on the rock of good things being put in an ultimate place. And that gets taken out from under them. Man, you've got story after story after story of dudes that killed themselves. Why? Because they were putting hope in a good thing that was never designed to have hope in. So you read stories about Madonna. I mean, she's, any artist is looking to be her. 
I could just be like Madonna. And you, you read her interviews that she has with people. She's gotten the Grammy. She's gotten the awards that anybody would long to have. And she says, I just got this thing. I just, there's something else out there. She's restless. She's trying to put good things in an ultimate position that was never designed to be there. And she's craving to find satisfaction and what good things won't give her. You read stories about Nick Saban and multiple championships under his belt. Just something else. Just want some, one more victory. Why, why is that such a common theme? I can go on and on about these stories. You've you got the Ravens that win this last year. The Super Bowl, if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, and you go the first game in this season, and they lose, and I talk to Ravens fans, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Why? Because we put our hope in this, and it will not suffice. It will not satisfy the longing in your soul and my soul. Good things were never designed to be put in an ultimate place. Like I said, in God's kindness, he met Abraham. He tested him. He wanted him to see where his affections were, that his affections had turned into adoration. And in his kindness, he wanted to expose that in him so that he would not be robbed of the joy that he was designed to have. Throughout history, we see these things. You guys are going to talk about these things in your small group this week about the story after story of God's people rebelling against God and God in his kindness breaking into their lives, exposing those idols so they can turn back to the Lord and trust in him and hope in him. I tell you, he won't compete. He will not compete. Steve said earlier, he is, he is jealous. He is not interested in just saying, I mean, for example, Alex and I are married, right? I said, you know what? I'm 97% hers. Ain't she lucky? I mean, 97%, she, I'm hers. I, I'm going to be 90%, 97% faithful to her. You'd be like, man, punch me in the face if I ever said something like that. That's, that's, she would punch me in the face if I said something like that. That's ridiculous that I'm only 97% faithful. That means I'm 3% unfaithful. Yeah, we go to the Lord and we say, hey, you got my Sunday. You got my Wednesday night, my small group. It's like, no, 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 he's not interested in that. He's not just so thankful that you're on his team. Finally, you came over to the good side. Like, he is jealous. He's like fire that consumes. You're not interested in you just playing the fence. He's, he is jealous, and he is jealous for your joy. And your joy will not be fully had if it's not put ultimately in him. And if it's settled for just good things. I'm in by reading a, a quote, long quote by Tim Keller, who's a pastor in Manhattan, speaking about the story that we just talked about. It says, In our lives, there are always some things that we invest in to get a level of joy and fulfillment that only God can give. The most painful times in our lives are times which our Isaacs, our idols, are being threatened or removed. When that happens, we can respond in two ways. The first way is we can opt for bitterness and despair. We will feel entitled to wallow in those feelings, saying, I've worked all my life to get to this place in my career, and now it's all gone. Or I've slaved my whole life to give that girl a good life, and this is how she repays me. We may feel at liberty to lie, to cheat, to take revenge, or throw away our principle in order to get some relief. 
You can take or the second option is you can take a walk up into the mountains saying, I see that you may be calling me to live my life without. But if I have you, I have the only I have the wealth, health, love, honor and security I really need and cannot lose. He goes on to say, as many have learned and later taught, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Man, I tell you, I want us to enjoy good things. I want us to be the ones as followers of Jesus to appreciate the things that he's made. I don't want us to be ones who run from those, but to embrace the good gifts that God has given to us. But man, my admonishment to us is to fight for gratitude. You know, I find in this culture, I already hit on it a little while ago, is that we're constantly the type of people that are always looking to compete with the Joneses. Constantly trying to think that if I had a little more, a little more of this, a little more of that, more is better. Like the AT&T commercials have been saying these days, if I just had a little more of blank, then that would suffice. And man, gratitude is such a weapon against that to recognize, you know, the goal isn't the good things. The goal is the wonderful creator of those good things. And so instead of constantly wanting more, constantly discontent with where you are finding your soul content in the giver of those gifts. I mean, you give or you take away. It's, it's about being thankful and grateful for what you've done and how you've provided and how you've been faithful. I mean, it changes your worldview around. If you begin to, because all our culture is barking at us is more, more, more. Compete with the Joneses. You've got to be on top. You've got to be the lead dog. It's got the best view. Da, 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 da. You hear these things all the time. But man, if we can find our soul, if we can fight when we got to. You can't, you can't not fight and find yourself grateful. But fight for gratitude find yourself beginning to think of the little things that God has given to you. The little things that we overlook because we're so busy about finding the newest thing, we never find our hearts actually grateful for what we already have. Actually begin to fight for gratitude. It will liberate our souls from allowing the good things to be the end and it will cause you to begin to allow the good things to be a means to the ultimate thing. You'll begin to see as you're filling up your gas tank, instead of looking at that beamer right over there, man, that'd be nice if I was in my garage, you begin to say, man, thank you that I have money to get gas in my vehicle. We begin to get focused on the things that he has given us. We begin to find our hearts liberated from allowing good things to become ultimate things. You know, my heart breaks for some of us in here because some of us, I believe, were trapped. We've made good things ultimate things. Some of us don't even see it because it's so real in our lives. Some of us are fried. Our marriages are fried because we've put good things in the ultimate place. Our, our souls are fried and numb because we're trying to find satisfaction in putting a good thing in the ultimate place that only God deserves to be in. Our relationships with our kids are going, going just down the crapper because we are, we are finding... Good, we're trying to put good things in the place that only God was designed to be. I want to challenge you. Will you trust in a God that you can't control? Like Steve said earlier, will you trust that not only can he satisfy, but he desires to satisfy? It's not begrudging, oh man, they're coming to me again. 
He's trying to take a break here. They got the game on. What are they doing? Like it's not like that. Like he finds joy in you finding joy in him. Man, if we could begin to run to him in gratitude, run to him this morning. If you're on the ministry team, if you can come up to the front. And if you need to leave, you're welcome to uh, as we begin ministry time in these next couple of minutes. But I want to challenge us to take advantage of this time. Sometimes I, I think that we are so busy. I'm busy. You're busy. We are so busy that we don't take time to evaluate where we are. And so we get 20 years down the road becoming the person that we never dreamed we would be. And we wonder, how in the world am I here? And the reason why we're there is because we never evaluated 20 years prior. How am I doing? Because we were so busy. So some of us just need to sit. Some of us need to just turn off some TV this week, turn off some radio this week, turn off some whatever it is for you this week, and just say, God, where am I? I want to challenge us to do that this morning. And as we do close, I I want us to remember the cross. Man, it's so easy. I know how it is. It's so easy to begin to evaluate yourself. Oh, woe is, oh my gosh, he couldn't love me like this. Oh my goodness, I'm, he doesn't deserve. And you begin to just get in this cycle. And I just want to say, in the midst of all that, you've got to preach the gospel to yourself. You've got to remember, okay, while I was a sinner, you died for me. You demonstrated your love for me. Not when I had two steps walking towards you, but when I was broken. You came. I was fractured. You took the first step. You pursued me and finding his affection for you there. And so remembering the cross. He didn't love you because because anything you've done for him. He loves you because it's his nature to love you. And so this morning I want to challenge us even to, to reset our hearts as we evaluate to find his affection and his mercy and his kindness right there saying, I love you. Don't run from me, run to me. Don't find yourself going into timeout for a week to figure your life out and then come back. But the design of conviction, the design of these kind of things is to draw you close to him. To draw you near, to come close and say, I need your help. And to find that as the centerpiece. Let's pray together. So Lord, we love you. Pray that you would lead this community. Father, I thank you for Vintage. I thank you for what you're doing here. I pray you continue to move and encourage. I pray you'd strengthen marriages. You'd strengthen singles. You would strengthen relationships in this place. I pray that have deep roots in you and deep roots with each other. Lord, I pray you bless this community. And I pray there'd be a community that flees from idolatry. That would be aggressive and fleeing and aggressive and fighting against settling for secondary things when they are able to have you. Pray you'd bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as you come up for ministry time.